Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. We've been talking since the beginning of the year about being bold. I know I've encouraged many of you. and I've, I get the stories. I hear the stories. Some of them are really wonderful. Sometimes, though, you might talk to someone. You might try to be bold. It really doesn't go very well. Has anyone ever had that happen? No, nobody ever. <laughs> That's right. You, you know, right? Yes. I hear someone else saying all the time, right? Because, hey, you're, you're putting out the word of God, and maybe it's just not being received as well as we might want it to be received. So of course, our hearts are that people would hear us and they would receive the word of God. Sometimes it doesn't go that well, but don't get discouraged. It might be that maybe you need to move on. You go to, you, you've tried with someone and they're not going to receive what you have to say. And that's all right. So you can respect that. Move on to someone else. God will open up another door for you. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Keep on sharing the word of God. Keep on sharing the salvation you have in your heart because you just never know when it's going to touch someone's heart. And it can even begin, like we heard earlier, with just a simple act of kindness, sharing something like a water bottle and someone saying, wow, I really needed that. You're Jesus to me today. Or, or why are you even doing that? And it opens up a door. So let's continue to pray. Let's continue to keep it in front of us. Well, we've been praying from Acts chapter 4, this prayer, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Even when your life might be tough, you know, we've been talking about construction we all know it. We all know the season, if we're drivers, the, what I've called the orange barrel season. They're out. They're in our way. They're frustrating. They slow us down. We hate them. But, of course, we hate the, we, we hate the bumpy roads, too. Something's got to give, right? Something's got to happen. The construction's got to happen. When we fall into it, when we drive into it, one of the first questions I don't like what was in my head. Maybe not yours. But I think God's still working on me and I'm under construction. That first question is, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to be stuck in this mess? When is it going to be over? Now, sometimes you might get into a, a, a lane shift or a lane goes down and you get all depressed and down like, oh man, this is really going to kill my day. And then it's over with really quick. Oh, I didn't, oh gee, it's, uh, I didn't realize it's only for a block here and I'm back on my way. But sometimes it just doesn't go that way. I had an experience last summer going south on I-75 Bad on me, bad. Didn't do my homework. That was a mess. I had no idea. I-75 South, it was like totally closed. And they had ripped all the lanes out. And there was one lane open if you got on at the right spot. And 
I can't exactly remember what occurred, but I can guess. I can guess because I know me. Traffic started backing up, and I hit an exit ramp. I'm like, I got to get out of this mess. There's definitely a better way to go up there on the surface streets. For about 30 seconds, yes. And then every single entrance ramp after that, so it seemed for miles, I could not get back on. They had, and, and here I am looking down at I-75, one lane's open, everybody's going. I'm stuck up here on the service drive. I'm going to the next light. I don't know, I learned all these downriver communities I'd never been through because I couldn't get back on. And I'm saying, when is this going to end? How many miles are they, are they redoing this thing all the way to Toledo? That's the way it felt. It's frustrating. And I know you could probably share that, especially since we live in a microwave society, don't we? We want things instantly. We want fixes instantly. We want everything now. We get in the Taco Bell drive-thru and there's a car in front of us and it's like, what's taking this? Did this guy order everything on the menu? I mean, seriously, I got to have lunch. What's happening? This is, this is the, the culture that we live in and we live in this instantaneous, gotta be gratified right now culture. And it certainly affects us. And it affects us too in our relationship with the Lord. It affects us if we're going through something in terms of life. If we're metaphorically under construction, if we're having some kind of suffering in our life, some kind of pain, that question comes up, how long, how long is this going to go on? And certainly if we're in pain, it, it's, it's an understandable question. It's a question that, that seemed to come up in the life of Job, the man we've been talking about. And last week, we went over some of the things one of his friends said to him in the midst of the guy's pain. Now, if there's ever been a construction project in somebody's life, Job is a great example. And you know what? I've been stunned, I'll say. The, the reaction that I have from so many of you about speaking from the book of Job has been remarkable to me. Many of you have said, thank you for bringing some messages from the book of Job. Job is my favorite character. Job's my favorite book of the Bible. And I say, really? Well, Job's your favorite character? It's not you know, King David, the man after God's own heart. It's not Nehemiah, the great leader who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. It's the guy that, that was slammed in his life, lost everything, was suffering majorly. This is your favorite character? And it's true. And I think it's because he's so relatable. He's, not that any of us have lost 10 kids, all of our wealth, all, all of our uh, health, 
but we can relate to this when we're in pain and when we're hurting. And we can relate to it too when somebody gives us terrible advice. Like Job's friend, Elihu, that we um, talked about uh, last, last week. Um, Eliphaz, not Elihu, Eliphaz. Yeah, he gave Job terrible advice. He told him, really, you're just, you're, you're a sinner. You, this is the reason that you're suffering. You know, and you just got to come to it. You just got to face the fact. You've hidden something. And, and, of course, the Job was stunned because he's looking internally and thinking, what are you talking about? That's not, that's not who I am. You know, I've, I've lived a life of integrity. And, you know, this question or this idea, this thought of how long do I have to put up with this, it comes out in what Job was saying. And I want to share with you a little of what now Job responds to this Eliphaz who is giving him the crummy advice. And it's in Job chapter 7. And Job says this. This is verses 1 through 5. He said, Do not mortals have hard service on earth? Are not their days like those of hired laborers? Like a slave longing for the evening shadows or a hired laborer waiting to be paid? So I have been allotted months of futility and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss, and I turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. That's a pretty heavy thing to say. And now this, this is just a little snippet, mind you. These, this is a long dialogue in the book of Job. But what's he saying to his friend? The nights are long. The nights drag on. How long do they have to last? How long? And he continues with his outburst. And he, he says even God is tormenting him at night. He can't sleep because God's troubling him with nightmares. He says this, continuing in Job chapter 7, this is 13 to 16. When I think my bed will comfort me, and my couch will ease my complaint, even then, God, even then, you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. He unloads on his friends. Now he unloads on God. Now this guy's had enough. That's, in essence, what he's saying. I am done. When is this going to be over? And when it's over, it won't be too soon. How long? How long, Lord? And it doesn't even matter to him anymore. The man just wants to die. And throughout the conversation with his friends, he reiterates this sentiment. Time and again, I loathe my life. I hate my life. I despise my life. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to die. And if only God would relent for a moment. He throws this in. If only God would relent just for a minute. So I could have just a minute 
60 seconds of joy and then kill me and then take me to the, to the land of utter darkness, the land of deepest night. He says things like, my spirit's broken. God, I'm done. My spirit is broken. The grave awaits. The only home I have to look forward to is the grave. Put my headstone on, let me be done. You know, he's gone beyond. When is this going to end? He's gone beyond how long? And again, this is an understandable sentiment, isn't it? In the midst of this much pain, the, the description of the man's body covered with scabs and worms. It's certainly understandable. When's this going to end? I just want it to end. So when, when is it going to be over? Let's, let's look at Job's case here. Let's look at it. He was resigned to die. He expressed this desire to go to the grave, but he didn't. It just didn't happen for him. He's living through it. As much as he's saying, God, take me, God didn't take him. And then his friends show up, and they give him, they give him grief too. So he railed against his friends. They blamed him for all of his troubles. Yeah, it's your fault, buddy. You know, you're the one who's caused this pain in your life. You've got some hidden evil. Well, he came back at them with a vengeance, and he minced no words. As you read through the book of Job, he calls them know-it-alls. He says, you know, you, you guys are so smart. You're so full of wisdom. You know what? When you die, all wisdom's going to die with you. That's how smart you guys are. I mean, he, he really, you know, he is seriously sarcastic with them. You guys, you're narcissists. You're all about yourselves. You, you're, you think you're so smart. And they, what they said to him, the pain of this accusation against the man, it stung him. It hurt him. And he confesses, you know, I was once revered in the entire community. Everybody loved me. Everybody looked up to me. I'd come into the city gate. People were like, hey, there's the guy we need to go to to talk to. Everybody saw me as a person of integrity. Now what's happened? And, and Job says this, I've become a laughingstock to you guys. And not only that, I've become a laughingstock to God. And he protested over and over again. To his friends, and he protested over and over again to God, I am innocent. And, and he complained about the sheer injustice of it all. How is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And when's it going to be over? He's, he, he looks to God as uh, an arbitrary, capricious God, just indiscriminately giving him pain. And let me give you an example of this. This is Job chapter 9. Again, just a snippet of Job's laying it out there against a, a God. He said, although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. Again, he just wants to die. It is all the same. 
And that is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. God, that is. God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, God blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? So what's Job's opinion about God? God does this stuff without any reason. There's no rhyme or reason to it. He just does it. It happens to everybody. He brings suffering on the innocent, and then he mocks them. He mocks them. He gives the wicked license to do all this stuff, and he lets them rule with impunity. He's not going to come against them. Oh, let the, well, the judges, who cares? Let them do whatever they want. And the man had it all wrong. You know, Job had it all wrong. God had not indiscriminately abused him. That wasn't the case. What, what happened? God saw the man of faith. God saw the man of integrity. God saw that this man was considered blameless. He was above reproach. And then God initiated a test in his life. And that might be hard for us to understand. We might say, well, why, why did God initiate the test? And I can't give you the, the answer to the why question except God, he wanted to test Job. And Though it's hard for us to understand, God was directing this. He was directing what was occurring in the man's life. And despite the wrong accusations that Job brought against God, God continued to direct. God showed the man mercy. You know, God let Job know. When you read through the entire book, God let him know. Job you don't know what you're talking about. You got this all wrong. God's ways aren't your ways. And God's not arbitrary. He's not impulsive. He's not acting indiscriminately. And Job sincerely repented. He said, Lord, I talked out of turn. I didn't know what I was talking about. You're right. I talked of things too wonderful for me to know. And he said, I'm going to button it up now. I'm going to shut my mouth. And, and I despise myself. Not that I want to die. I despise myself for what I've done. I despise myself for, for sinning against you. And I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life greater than the former. He was restored. God worked on him. Major construction. How long did it go on? I don't know. He talked about months. Some people, talk, some people uh, come to the conclusion Job suffered for years. But we, we read earlier, months. He was tormented months in his sleep. We know this was not some one-day deal. We know he sat for at least seven days with his friends. This was a prolonged, prolonged time of suffering and he learned something about God through it. He repented and God restored all his fortunes. He had 10 more children. He, he, his herds and his flocks were greater than they were before. 
In the, in the case of Job, he suffered, he was embittered, he complained against God. The metaphorical orange barrels were set up in, in his life and surrounded him. He underwent a major overhaul, a complete uh, construction project, which was painful, painful to him. It took more time than he ever imagined. But then came the day. The barrels began to be lifted in his life. Things began to run better to the point where all lanes were open. Life was going smooth now, better than it had before. And isn't that a wonderful story? It ends on such a high note. It's a great testimony. And I know in this room, if I said, have any of you experienced such a, a story? Could you share a testimony? The hands would go up. Oh, yes. I went through a time of suffering. I went through a time of agony. But things are better. They're behind me. Let me tell you what I learned about it. Let me tell you what I learned about myself. I learned humility. I learned patience. I learned this or that. And God brought me through it. And I know that there's those testimonies in this room. But that's not everybody's testimony, is it? Not, not all. Some of us, the, the, the pain in your life, it's, it's constant. It's ceaseless. You're daily reminded of your pain. You've heard others say, oh, God's given me beauty for ashes. He's given me the oil of joy for mourning. He's given me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and I, I've been restored. And someone's quoting that to you from Isaiah chapter 61. And, and we rejoice with those testimonies. But in your case, you're, you might be saying, it's just, that's not my story. I'm still in this pain. I'm still in this suffering. It's ongoing I haven't received my relief. Or it might be that you're thinking of your mother or your father, your sister, your brother, someone close to you, a great friend, a co-worker, and they are in that, they're in that place. And their burden has never been lifted. Where is their beauty for ashes? Are they ever going to receive the oil of joy for mourning? Is, is, is it ever going to end for them? It hasn't been their story that the latter part of their life is greater than the former. And that's reality, isn't it? And I, I, know, there's, I know there's those of you, if I asked, is that the case? You'd raise your hand, yeah. Yep, I'm, I'm in a trial, I'm in a, I'm in a struggle, I am in suffering, and it doesn't seem like the end is in sight. It's reality. It's the undeniable truth that we might be experiencing it ourselves, or we know one or more people, that it seems the pain in their life is relentless. And it seems incurable. It's not going away. How do we reconcile that with God? What do we do? Because we read through the book of Job, and we got to the end, and everything was happy for the man. But it just doesn't seem to be happening in our case. Can we answer the question, when will it end? And I'll be plain and blunt and honest with you. 
I can't answer the question. I cannot tell you when it's going to end. If you're in suffering, if you have an issue, you, you have a physical infirmity, I cannot answer that question. Some of those questions like, why is God doing this? They're hard to answer. When is it going to be over? I wish I could tell you. Trials, hurts, pains, sufferings, they're not abnormal. They're not an anomaly that God guarantees to fix in this life. It is a normal part of life. It, it's life. It's part of life. It's a fact. And it's borne out by simple obser observation. All we have to do is look around and we'll find somebody who's in pain, who's suffering, and many who will say, it's just been for a long time and I don't know what's happening. I don't know when it's going to go away. So you might say, well, let's just back up in the book of Job. He, guy had a point, didn't he? Let's just get it over with and die. But Job missed something. He missed something. And it's, it's something that we can learn, we can take away when we're confronting something like this, when we're dealing with something like this. Job, for all his faith, for, for all of the accolades of uh, being the man of integrity, he missed a supreme principle of life and God. And that is that the two go together. Life and God go together. His physical ailments and his problems, and I get it. You know, if my body was oozing worms and scabs and bleeding out, I'd probably feel the same way as the guy that life is all physical. And that seems to be where he, where he was. His pain had sort of completely crowded out the fact that life is more than just this natural world. It's more than the physical. Job was forgetting he was a spiritual being as much as he was a natural being. He was missing this. He was forgetting. He had a spirit. Our life in this natural world, in, in these bodies of clay, is also spiritual. We, we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. We have, we have souls and spirits. And in the physical pain and the physical trials and the troubles, in that uh, situation, whatever it is, it can be lived out when we're living it with God, when we keep the spiritual portion too. Now then we can begin to live through these, these trials and these tribulations when God is in our life. And our God has revealed himself, hasn't he? He's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And life isn't meant to be lived in isolation. It's not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived with Christ. With Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus in us. Jesus with us. Even in the hard times, we can't forget that. We can't ignore it we're in, when we're in these construction zones of life. Even when we're asking, how long? When is this going to end? Now, Job had to be reminded, God is with you, brother. I mean, he had these three friends that didn't do that. They just railed on him, told him, you're a sinner. You're hiding evil in your life. This was... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. 
terrible friends. They were introduced in the early chapters, and their dialogue goes back and forth. And then suddenly, in the book of Job, another person shows up. A fourth person just mysteriously pops into the dialogue. And, and this was the one who was identified by the name of Elihu. He was a younger man. He'd waited for all the old guys to speak. He respected them. And he gives us a picture. He gives us an image. This young man seemed to know a thing or two about God. He gives us a picture of Jesus Christ. He, he's an image. He's a, a portrayal of Jesus. And he's stern with Job. He gives him some stern words. He's, he says, you've been complaining against God. But he revealed God. He didn't just leave Job hanging there. Hey, you're complaining against God, you're going to hell. No, he, he revealed God. He began to tell Job about God. He spoke of the greatness of the Almighty. He said, this is an awesome God. He spoke of the awesomeness of God. We should be in awe of him, not complaining against him. He spoke of the holiness of God. He said, Job, God would never, ever, ever pervert justice. He'd never do anything evil. And he said, God is with you, Job. He's with you. Not only is he with you, he wants you to be with him. Now hear this. This is from Job 36. This is this man, Elihu, who just shows up out of the blue. And he's, he's an image of Jesus. He says this to Job in Job 36. This is from 15 to 21. Job those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. Job, he is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table, laden with choice food. But now you are laden with judgment. Do the wicked. Judgment and justice have taken hold of you. Be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your wealth or even all your mighty efforts sustain you so you would not be in distress? Do not long for the night to drag people away from their homes. Beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer to affliction. So you know, this Elihu, he, he does have some stern words for him, but he's saying, Job, Job, your problem, your affliction, your trial, your pain, it has clouded your thoughts. It's clouded your mind. It's clouded your perception of God Almighty. You're accusing God so much. It's as if you'd prefer evil on a scale more than the affliction you're even suffering. Job, don't you realize? Don't you realize, Job, don't you get it? God's speaking to you in your affliction. Man, that's hard, to, that's hard to understand. God is speaking to you in your affliction. He's wooing you. He's wooing you in your pain, in your trouble, in your trial, in your tribulation. God is wooing you. He's calling you. He's drawing you. In my pain? Really? He's with you. Yesterday I was reminded of, of just this. 
We had uh, the memorial service, the funeral for Frank Fabian. And Frank was, uh, he was a, a man of integrity. People will say that. He always carried a smile on his face. And at the funeral home, there was a picture. It was a picture of uh, about 20 or so dogs, German shepherds. And in front of all these dogs, in front of all these German shepherds, fierce-looking dogs, there was a little cat. One lone little cat just walking along. And underneath was the caption. And the caption was Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I talked to Frank's wife. She said he printed this out and he hung it at home. And, and what is it saying? He, he had said to his wife, Luann, sometimes I feel this way, walking through this valley. But, but he wasn't going to fear. You know, because the verse goes on. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that's what he exuded. That's how he was living. He had been diagnosed seven or eight years ago with leukemia, a form of it that caused him to be in hospital, to have uh, all kinds of troubles from time to time. Brother Barry had visited him and shared a story where uh, Frank had had a, an allergic reaction to medication where his skin was literally peeling. That was kind of Job-like. But yet he's saying, I'm going to fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, he realized he wasn't alone. In his pain and in his tribulation, he wasn't asking, when is it going to be over? As much as he was going through it with Jesus. He was going through it with his Lord and his Savior. Psalm 23 begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. And, and the, the psalm so beautifully depicts Jesus the shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I mean, that's how much Jesus wants us. And he wants us to walk with him when we're in pain, when we're in these times of construction and suffering, instead of just hollering out at him and, and raging and saying, you know, when is it going to be done? God, you're, you're, you're so in, unjust in my life and you're tearing me apart for no good reason. No, he wants to walk with us and to be with us. And it's it's hard to lay someone to rest, to have their funeral service. But when we know that's a person that Jesus was wooing and that person responded and said, come on, walk with me. Jesus, walk with me. I can't take this. Yes, it's hard, but I'm going to smile. Walk with me. Help me. It's a lot easier to raise 
lay someone to rest when you know that was their life. Because he's wooing you. He's drawing you through the pain and the suffering, saying, you don't need to fear evil. I'm with you. The the last words of Jesus on, on earth were, I am with you even to the end. That's what he said before he ascended. And we should take that to heart. You you know, you might be asking the question, when's enough enough? God, when's this going to be over? When's it going to end? You know, I wish I could tell you and I could answer the question. But I know this for sure. When you consider that life in the natural is more about the spiritual and that the God who created you wants you by his side in this life and he wants you walking with him as part of a a preparation for the glorious eternal life when will it end the question really loses some of its significance doesn't it because it's not so much about when will it end but how am I going to live this with my Lord and my Savior Jesus with me If you don't know him, get to know him. If you're suffering today, he's wooing. He wants you. He wants you to respond. He wants you to be by his side. He wants to be with you. He wants to help you through. Even if you don't know when it's ever going to end, he does. Let's, Let's stand and close our service in prayer. And if if you never really heard this, that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he gave his life for you. He did. And he can help you. He can, he can help you through, live through this life and all that it has because we know. We know it's not always a bed of roses. And I've seen it in the testimonies of people like Frank Fabian who walked with him and many others, many others who responded to the wooing, the drawing of Jesus and said, all right, I'm not going to focus on on these questions. Walk with me, carry me, help me. Now, if that's you today, just... Just reach out to him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your thank you for your awesomeness. Thank you for your greatness. And Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd, who would walk with us in our pain and in our suffering and in our trial. And Father, if we're in that place where we see others who, who've received a great end to a construction project in their life, but it's still on us. Help us not to ask, when is it going to be over and why is it happening? Help us to to, to feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit and realize you're in it all and that you're not unjust and that you want us. Help us to respond to that, God. Help us to respond to your drawing and your wooing. Lord, if there's anyone in this room 
who's even doing that right now, saying, God, I blew it. I've been angry with you and yelling at you, and I'm sorry for that. Just please come by my side. Lord, I pray you would tangibly come by their side. Show them you're with them. God, carry, help. Give strength. And we thank you for it. We've sung it more than once today how good you are. You're our good Father. And you gave us your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. As we trod through this earth, even though we've got pain, even though we got suffering, help us, carry us, so that we're preparing to see you face to face. Bless all your people now, God. Bless them as they go. Bless the rest of their day. Keep them in the palm of your hands and return them back to us, Father, to, to worship you together again. And we ask it all in the precious and wonderful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.